Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the 211 Renault and Dacia range. Get your car delivered to you in just a couple of clicks. Call us today to find out more or visit blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. Welcome to Late Lunch this Thursday afternoon. Hope you're all well. Thanks for joining us again on the show. We have lots to chat over the next couple of hours. We're going to hear about the new uh, Drogheda Alzheimer's Daycare Centre. The work has begun. Noel Heaney will be joining us to tell us all about that. Uh, Roy Oberson, uh, the story continues with me, my artist of the week. Nikki Kyle's in the garden. God, it's unseasonal, isn't it? In the garden this weather. Well, Nikki will guide us uh, for the month of April. What to sow and what to do. And we'll also be joined by Kate Gunn. Yes, she went sober for 30 days in 2016 and she hasn't touched a drop since. If you want to get in touch with us on the show, the numbers are 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me directly to studio or you can call in on 1850-715-958. Now, you do know on the show over the years, uh, we've been talking about supplementation uh, to our diets and in particular about vitamin D and He's become a very good friend of ours on the show. Dr. Dan McCartney is lecturer in nutrition and dietetics at TU Dublin. And I'm sure he's really happy today with news that the cross-party Oireachtas Committee on Health have issued a report recommending that Irish people take a vitamin D supplement. And I'm hoping Dan is on the line to say hello to me. Hello, Dan. Hello, Jerry. How are you? I'm Lovely good. To be here as always. Ah, thank you very much for joining me on the show today, Dan. You must be a happy man today because I, I think of you every time I hear vitamin D. You've been banging on about this for years. <laughs> Indeed, Jerry, we're we're delighted that the the Oireachtas report has come out so so strongly, I suppose, and and endorsed the the recommendation for vitamin D supplementation at at higher levels than are currently recommended across the the adult population. It's it's really important very important initiative for public health in the context of COVID-19. Now, you were part of this COVID-D consortium. I know that made a presentation. We spoke to you about six weeks ago on the show when that happened, and you were hopeful at that stage. Would you just remind our listeners again, you know, the evidence that you're bringing forward uh, to put all of your names, the esteemed people who have in this country, to backing this uh, vitamin D supplementation? Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say that even since we were with the committee on the 23rd of February, that the evidence has uh, increased and improved in strength. Uh, We are now seeing meta-analyses. These are big studies where they take data from a number of individual studies and trials and bring them together 
in order to, to enhance the, the integrity of their statistical findings. So, I mean, there's been a, a few of those over the last number of weeks, even since the beginning of March. One of them, uh, there, there are a couple in relation to infection risk. One of them suggests that you've got a 43% increased risk of becoming infected with SARS-CoV-2 if your vitamin D levels are less than 72.5 nanomoles per litre. So low levels mean increased risk of infection. And again, that's backed up by another large study where they took data from 39 individual studies and they found that the people that were in the vitamin D deficiency groups were about 75 to 77% more likely to become infected with uh, COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2. There are also these large meta-analyses in relation to disease severity and death. Uh, One of them took data from 15 studies and they, uh, after adjustment for all of the other potential confounders or things that might have influenced uh, outcome, they found 2.6 times increased risk of severe disease and a 2.3 to 2.6 times increased risk of death in the groups that were vitamin D deficient. So this, uh, these findings, I suppose, that have been, been coming out uh, incrementally over the last year or so, they're now being consolidated in these very large meta-analyses that give us a clear picture that if you're vitamin D deficient, you're more likely to become infected with the SARS-CoV-2 virus, but you're also much more likely to have an adverse severe outcome or to die from COVID-19 if you become infected when your vitamin D levels are low. This is really important. It really is, folks, to listen to what Dan has to say today. Vitamin D is so important in the fight against COVID. Now, it's not a cure, Dan. We want to say that. There's no such thing, but it will mitigate all you've mentioned there. Indeed, indeed. I mean, it's important to to say that this is an adjunctive intervention. In other words, it goes alongside hand washing, social distancing, mask wearing, and all of those other very well evidenced interventions that we've uh, we've asked the population to undertake in order to protect themselves against this virus. So now everybody's listening uh, attentively. We have them now. Dan, please explain. And I know you've done this before, but it's well worth repeating. What are you talking about in terms of a daily dosage? Yeah, that's the real key here, Jerry. What, what do people need to do? Our recommendation is that people should supplement with a vitamin D uh, supplement on its own of 20 to 25 micrograms per day, which is 800 to 1,000 international units. They measure vitamin D in two ways. So 20 to 25 micrograms per day, which is equivalent to 800 to 1,000 international units. And we know that this type of daily supplementation, rather than taking big doses at more spaced out intervals, that daily supplementation is more beneficial. And it's widely available and it's cheap. Somebody said to me, I was talking about you this morning and they said, oh, Jerry, that's the end of cheap vitamin D. <laughs> well, you'll have seen in the report, perhaps, that uh, one of the, the recommendations that was made was that the government should consider reducing or preferably eliminating the VAT in these vitamin D supplements. So hopefully that will make a difference. And they've also proposed providing these vitamin D supplements to uh, vulnerable people that are more likely to be vitamin D deficient and that perhaps have a greater 
uh, severity of vitamin D deficiency. So those hopefully will help for people that that uh, have a difficulty in, in paying for the supplements. No, it was I mean, a, I should add uh, as well, there are a few groups, you know, where you have to be careful with vitamin D supplementation. Um, people that have sarcoidosis, for example, or lymphoma or TB, they need to be careful and, and to supplement with vitamin D under medical supervision. But for the, the vast, vast majority of the population, these supplements are perfectly safe at those 20 to 25 micrograms per day. I've been in one of the large multiples recently, Dan, and just uh, browsing around, I see vitamin D on display, but there are large doses in, in containers, you know, 2,000, uh, yeah. 3,000, 4,000 international units. Is there a danger that you could overdose? Yeah, I mean, there is consensus here from the European Food Safety Authority, uh, from the Institute of Medicine in America, and from the Scientific Advisory Committee on Nutrition in the UK, that oral intakes up to 100 micrograms per day or 4,000 international units per day do not pose a risk to human health. So they're safe. Um, Now, we're not recommending that. We're recommending 20 to 25 micrograms per day. So it's well south of that, that 100 micrograms per day threshold. Having said that, there are groups that are more likely to have vitamin D deficiency and who are more likely to have more severe vitamin D deficiency that may require larger doses. For example, if you're overweight or obese, or if you have dark skin pigmentation, or if you're older, you may require more vitamin D, but that should be done under medical supervision. So if you're going above the the 25 uh, micrograms per day, it's best to seek medical advice. Okay, talk to your GP about that one. And that really yeah. is good advice. Look, I can remember you talking many moons ago before this became central to the COVID-19 uh, situation, talking to us about this and explaining that in Ireland, you know, vitamin D, you get it from the sun. We don't get a lot of sun most years. We have a great summer and then not have one for a number of years. Is this something that really, you know, regardless of the season and say we might have a good summer this year, you should be taking all year round? Yes, absolutely. Um, We simply don't get enough sunlight exposure in this country. That is the major source of vitamin D. It always has been in terms of human physiology. So our migration indoors over the last 30 or 40 or 50 years hasn't done us any favours in that regard. So now we're much more reliant on the vitamin D that we take in our food. And unfortunately, our food supply is pretty low in vitamin D. So we really need to be supplementing And we would say yes on a a year-round basis, particularly for those more vulnerable or at-risk groups. Um, Do you need to take it with food or can you just take it in the morning if you're only having a coffee? You know the way some things like that might affect the uh, uh, sensitive, you know, um, inside inside the body where some people are more sensitive in the stomach area and that as well. Is there any recommendations there? Yeah, it's better taken with food because it's a fat-soluble vitamin. So if you take it with a mixed meal, you know, your main meal of the day, it's likely to be uh, better absorbed. But I mean, I don't think that there's a huge difference there in, in absorption gradients between taking it in isolation and taking it with food, but preferably with food if you can, and your, your main meal usually. The, the other thing is, I've been lo- looking at the recommendations that have come forward from that committee, like they're really encouraging, you know, and they're asking now that, uh, you know, people who attend a COVID-19 test centre should be uh, offered vitamin D supplementation along with the test. Yes, and that's a, a really good recommendation, because what we've seen in, in the trial data here to date is 
that intervention early makes a difference. If you can get people's vitamin D levels up quickly, mm. uh, shortly after uh, diagnosis, or preferably before, I mean, we would love if the whole population were taking vitamin D and were encountering the, the, the virus in a, a state of vitamin D repletion. But realistically, we know that that doesn't necessarily happen. But certainly, if you can address a vitamin D deficiency early on in the infection or early on in the disease course, it seems to make it less likely that you will have a severe uh, outcome or that you will uh, that you will die from it. Mm. And there's talk as well, which is uh, really great here, of a vitamin D awareness campaign, similar to the one, I remember the one folic acid for uh, uh, pregnant women that happened back in the 90s. And uh, yes. I, I'm encouraged, Dan, sorry, I'll have to withdraw my earlier remark, uh, reducing <laughs> or removing the existing vat on vitamin D. So they're looking at, <laughs> at the price already. I, mea culpa, mea culpa, Dan. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, th- this is really central to it. And I think it's important to say as well, this can't be a, a, a one-off. I mean, I, I uh, worked with researchers that were working on the folic acid uh, issue a number of years ago. And what we discovered was that the, the campaign, even though it was very, very effective in alerting women to the importance of folic acid, that that effect seemed to dwindle over time. So you can't just run one vitamin D information campaign and think that the job is done and forget about it. It has to be sustained messaging from our central statutory health authorities so that people get a clear message that tells them how much to take, tells them the amount that they shouldn't uh, go over on a daily intake basis, and that also is repeated over time so that people uh, it becomes embedded, if you like, in people's consciousness. So, Dan, the message is clear and it's going to ramp up now and you've received the approval of this committee and I see some of uh, the people involved with NEFIT, etc., have been out today to say, yes, you know what I mean, they are uh, supporting this uh, view now at this stage. On a general yeah. sense, uh, Dan, just before we finish, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of nutrition, and you mentioned like the lack of vitamin D, we get it mostly from the sun, but you talked about food there as well. Is there anything yeah. else at this time you want to say to listeners today that we should be conscious of? Naturally, good, healthy eating, whole foods is very, very important for uh, good health overall. But anything else at this time, I think of vitamin C, which we've talked about in the past for children, anything else to, to, uh, that we should be considering? Yeah, I mean, all of those general healthy eating messages still apply, Jerry. So plenty of fruit and vegetables, plenty of good oily fish, generous amounts of low-fat dairy foods, preferably ones that are fortified like super milk, uh, high-fiber breakfast cereal in the morning. All of that stuff still applies, as well as, of course, limiting the the high-sugar, high-fat foods, the fried foods and, and things like that. Don't forget that one of the major risk factors for adverse outcome in COVID-19 is obesity. And we know that about two thirds of our adult population are either overweight or obese. So that makes a difference. Keeping weight, keeping weight down, keeping active, and eating a healthy diet are all very, very pertinent here too. And on the vitamin C for children, you know, there was a thing we used to get. I remember mm-hmm. the halib orange. Yeah, I'm sure you you know what I'm talking about there, the supplement. Is it still a thing that vitamin C is good for children and good to give them? We used to get it, I remember, growing up, and I give it to my children through the autumn, winter, spring season, and then leave it off in the summer. 
Yeah, I mean, vitamin C is is fine. We, most people actually exceed the RDA of, of uh, vitamin C okay. just from food alone. So it's a little mm. bit different to vitamin D in that regard. If you eat plenty of fruit and vegetables, generally you get enough. But certainly if you're taking a multivitamin that provides you with a little bit of extra vitamin C, that's no harm at all. And a question, an interesting one here from Adrian. He's just been on. Would you ask uh, Dr. McCartney, vitamin D in the Avonmore super milk, you did mention the super milk yourself down there a few moments ago. Is that enough or do you need the uh, additional supplement from uh, the uh, little pill? You need the supplement as well, really. Um, Fortified foods are useful. They will make a a dent in your, your required intake, if you like. But you do need the supplement as well. I mean, if we look at Finland, they started adding vitamin D into their food supply, into their milk specifically, and spreadable fats, about 20 years ago. But they added it into all of them. Whereas here, you know, you, it's, it can be a bit hit and miss. Some of them have vitamin D added. Some of them don't. Some of them have different, uh, different amounts added. So really, you need the supplement as well. Paul wants to know, he's on warfarin uh, medication. Yep. Is vitamin D safe in conjunction with it? Yeah, I mean, I'm not aware of any contraindication with warfarin therapy, but uh, he should check with his GP or with his prescribing physician on that uh, just to make sure that that's okay. But I'm certainly not aware of any contraindication with warfarin. Okay, and uh, somebody else saying, where do we get it? It's widely available, isn't it, Dan, in uh, in uh, pharmacies, for for example? There, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You can get it in pharmacies, you can get it in supermarkets. Um, I mean, very, very widely available and very cheap, actually. Mm. I mean, to take a 25 microgram dose for the full year would probably cost you 10 to 15 euros all in for for a full year's supply. My word. Very, very cheap. Isn't that a small price? Uh, And it it does what it says on the tin, as you've heard there from uh, Dan himself. Listen, you're a great friend of ours. I'm delighted for you. It's been a long road, but you're you're there now. And congratulations on the campaign and to your fellow uh, people as well who put their names to that and made the presentation. And this is real good news all round. Until the next time, Dr. Danny McCartney, thank you so much. Thank you for joining me. Take care now. Bye-bye. That's uh, Dr. Daniel McCartney there, Director of Human Nutrition and Dietetics at TU Dublin. He's a really, really good guy. So there you have it. I take the D myself every day. Every day I take the vitamin D. Around about a thousand international units I'm taking myself at the moment. If you want to comment, ask a question on the show, get in touch. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me. Or you can call in now on 1850-715-958. Want to say a big thank you to uh, the person who was in touch with me yesterday. I was telling you about the antibiotics I was taking. I can't pronounce them. Fluxalcillin or something is the name. But I'm just reading it here. I'm reading it, but pronounce it. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, I did what you said. If you're listening today, thank you so much for the advice. I got loads of advice. Thanks to everybody yesterday. And I'm taking the natural yogurts, etc. But I did contact my GP and I've stopped taking those particular antibiotics. Uh, and I feel much better already. I have to say but thank you for your advice and I'm actually off everything at the moment they're going to wait and see what happens here but it seems to be getting better anyway Uh, um, and if I needed one they will change it for me but that was good advice I just couldn't take it at all now what about uh, the dubs first now Monaghan and not just the dubs in Monaghan there's others as well just looking at the news there uh, Dublin uh, down manager Paddy Talley got an eight week ban after uh, they were found training there was trouble down in Cork Ronan McCarthy banned as well Dublin and now 
Uh, Seamus McEnany and Man- Monaghan have been hit with a 12-week ban. What do you think? Have you an opinion? <clears throat> we're all in this together, remember? Yes, we're all in this together. For sure. People doing their very best and then, you know, they're going to be caught. And the county board came out in Monaghan and said, you know, they've imposed the ban and they've admitted the breach and it was discovered. Did nobody in the county board know? I find that difficult to take. I, I really do. You know, the county board didn't know. Hands up now. 12 weeks. Is 12 weeks enough? What do you think? 12 weeks. You know, should the championship will be on, it's only a little slap on the wrist and you bad boys. Don't do it again. <clears throat> should the punishment be more severe? What do you think? <clears throat> Kick Dublin out of the championship. Kick Monaghan out of the championship. Kick Cork out. Kick down out. Kick the whole bloody lot of them out of the championship for a year. That'd soften their cough. Need a drop of water to soften my own here at the minute. Anyway, that would soften their cough. It certainly would. Have you an opinion about the breaches? What do you think? Are you annoyed about it? Or do you think the punishment fits the crime? Or should it be more severe? I'd love to hear from you. What do you have to say? What do you think about this? 086-1800-658. WhatsApp, text me now. 086-1800-658. I'll relay your comments to everybody else. I promise you. You can call in. 1850-715-958. Happy anniversary to Irene Hamilton from Dundalk. Have a lovely day from Tony. We play this one for you. It's big Dundalk connections. It has indeed. For Irene today from Tony, it's Bagatelle and second violin. Thanks for all of your messages. Keep them coming to me on WhatsApp or text 086-1800-658-1857-15958 is the number if you want to call in. If you're just joining us on the show, you're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. You could be listening today in a multiple of ways on your traditional radio. On the app, the app, get the LMFM app, bring it with you wherever you go. You can listen to us anywhere on your smart speaker or online. You're all very welcome to Late Lunch. Now, some of your comments. Jerry, I believe the players should be sanctioned too. Yes, news breaking a little while ago that Monaghan manager Seamus McEnany has been suspended for 12 weeks because Monaghan were training. Should they be kicked out of the championship, I ask you? No one's addressing that point. It doesn't seem to want to address that one. Should they be kicked out? Uh, a disgrace, says somebody else, that people are getting into trouble for training, says a listener. We are being controlled. We've always been controlled, I have to say. If that penny's only dropping with you now, whoever you are, well, it's late in the day. Rugby, soccer, going ahead, Jerry. The GA is a scapegoat. More close contact in rug- rugby. It's a sad country we live in, says Angela today. Um, they have a great way, uh, Jerry, of admitting their guilt. A grave error of judgment. Give me a break, says another listener. And there's uh, Martina on from Navin. Thank you, Martina. They're all at it, Jerry. Yes, training. Then they apologise unreservedly when they get caught. You are so right. Thank you indeed for all of your comments to the show. I'll be back to them in a wee while. Now, she loved a drink, be it at home or out socialising. The only time she was alcohol-free was on her three pregnancies and once during dry January, which she detested. However, late in 2016, Kate Gunn accepted a 30-day alcohol-free challenge and hasn't supped since. Her story is told in a fascinating new book called The Accidental Soberista. And The Accidental Soberista is on the line. Hello, Kate. Hi, Jerry, how are you doing? I'm very good. Thanks for joining me on the show. Now, listen, I just want to put this to you first off. You weren't an alcoholic. You were a, 
a social type drinker. Is that fair to say? Uh, that is fair to say. Um, I was a social drinker, like what we would term a normal drinker, I think. Um, and yeah, I liked a, a few drinks when I went out. I liked a bottle of wine at home with my partner. Um, so all very normal and acceptable. And you started young, at 16, college, then into work environment. You talk about that. You went travelling. It seems that drink was just intertwined with all aspects of your life. Is that how it felt or did you only realise that when you stepped back a bit? Yeah, absolutely. You're right. It was only when I stepped back from it because um, I like amongst my circle of friends uh, and family, we would have all been drinking, you know, since about 16. And, and most people I know would have been. Um, and it was just deeply entwined in our lives. You know, that's how we uh, socialize. It's how we celebrate. It's how we commiserate. Um, and everything just kind of revolves around it. And you never stop to question that. Now, your ex-husband, Christians, I know, said to you at one stage, and this is when you had children and you were having, say, the, the sup of wine at home, like lots of people do. He did say to you, didn't he, give it up. Did that come as a bit of a shock to you when he mentioned those words? Do you give it up? <laughs> uh, yeah, that was more like uh, I suffered from really bad hangovers. Um, and, you know, when I had small children and was very tired, they were even worse. Um, and I could have it like a whole day knocked out by a bad hangover. Uh, and it was during one of those hangovers that he said, you know, you should really think about giving it up. And I just thought he was mad. I thought like that is no there is no way I am ever going to give up alcohol like forever. That's that's just stupid. <laughs> mm. But look, uh, it, it was, as I, I suppose, a moment that you remember and, and you recall. Now, your marriage did end. And then when it ended, you were out on the social scene again. Did that bring alcohol and drinking back? into you know perspective that it was all part and parcel of that scene when you were out and and of course you you, you met your uh, current partner uh, through socializing and being out yeah it was kind of a period of time where i was like reconnecting with uh, old friends and getting to to go out again after having you know three young children i mm. probably didn't didn't go to the pub much for 10 years i think yeah. Uh, so yeah it was definitely a, a period of time of kind of finding myself and going out at night and drinking with friends was was just a part of that so you meet Aidan and uh, you're together and uh, things move on from there. And after a short time, relatively, you know what I mean, after about a year together, uh, this scenario uh, comes into the picture where, you know, we'll stop for a period of time, give it up for what, this 30-day thing back in late 2016? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was October 2016 and um, Aon had been to the doctor over some like reflux issues, uh, which is a really common problem in Ireland. Uh, and the doctor had said to him that the alcohol might be aggravating it and sure to try 30 days without it. Uh, so he came back to tell me that he was going to do the 30 days and I said I would join him on it. Just like that, you just said, I'll, I'll go with you. Did you feel pressure to do it or do you remember what <laughs> prompted that? Were you supporting him or what? Uh, well, I suppose I would say I was supporting him, but probably I was more worried that like we'd only been together for a year and I didn't want to be going out and be the drunk girlfriend <laughs> beside him. Uh, you know, you never want to be that person. So, uh, yeah, I reluctantly agreed, I think. Uh, would you have been worried like with him sober and the cool light of day looking at you? You know what I'm getting at? Oh, my God. Is that what, what yeah, we were all Yeah, I think we like? all worry about that when there's a sober person in our midst. Yeah. And, and that that 
uh, theme that you mentioned there, that sobriety in the, mist, in the midst of others, was a thing you had to deal with, hadn't you, when this thing really took off because the 30 days developed into 90 and beyond. Tell me about your friends and your social circle and your family. Did they look on you as being like someone with two heads? <laughs> uh, they were really like my friends were really uh, accepting of it and, and very good but uh, at the start uh, at the very start I was kind of afraid of going out because uh, I didn't know how to socialize like in a pub without a drink in my hand uh, so that took a, a while to get used to and I had to to relearn to be me uh, and to, to gain confidence I suppose in those social situations uh, and it's difficult and it's uncomfortable at first but after a while you do gain that confidence you realize who you are uh, and um, yeah it's, it's absolutely fine now but it did take me a little while for sure. Did you find it strange you know I know myself the experience when you go for a meal I'd have a pint or a glass of wine and it's part and parcel of the whole mix and that was that tough? And yeah, the restaurant was kind of tough. You know, there's lots of non-alcoholic beers and drinks available, widely available now in in pubs and and restaurants. But I did for a long time associate, you know, going out for a meal, like a steak, a glass of red wine. It was just indelibly linked in my head. Uh, So it took a few goes of that to kind of go, oh, no, it's actually fine. You know, there are alternatives available. Uh, And I didn't feel like I was missing out. But uh, I'd be lying if I said, you know, the first couple of times weren't a bit strange and I did feel that something was missing. Mm, And as I said, 30 days soon became 90 and beyond. Oh, the Camino. Tell them about the Camino. You nearly (laughs) did the deed, didn't you? (laughs) I had a wobble. Uh, It was our first holiday uh, and we'd gone uh, to Spain and we were doing the Camino and we stopped um, in this uh, beautiful town. Uh, There was a little tapas bar and we walked in and it was like all um, like a dark kind of cavern. Uh, And I realized it was actually like a a wine cellar with a restaurant inside it. So all these like beautiful bottles of wine, uh, Spanish Riocas and everything, all my favorites lined up against the wall. Uh, And I just said to Andrew, I said, you know what, I'm going to have a glass. Uh, And it was a real sudden spur of the moment. I just had like a a, a real desire for a glass of red wine in that atmosphere. Um, But before long, I was already in my head going, well, will I have a glass or will I have half a bottle? And what if we share half a bottle and and then will I need to another bottle? And my whole mind was just racing. You know, I was going down a rabbit hole that I didn't want to go down. So I just quickly kind of got over it. But it was definitely a a moment where I had to stop and really think about, you know, do I want to keep doing this or is it okay to take a break on it? When you think of this year, 2021, and we get to October, you'll be five years without an alcoholic drink. Has it been a burden or, you know, I put down here in my notes the pluses and minuses. Has it really been all pluses and very little downsides? Absolutely, like a billion percent. And that's, you know, that's really my point of of the whole book. Like, it's called The Accidental Soberista. I didn't, like, I didn't mean to do this. It was kind of an accident. But the benefits were were really key. And very early, they were very evident. Uh, And, you know, the things I've I've managed to accomplish since giving up, uh, you know, they were life goals that I didn't think reaching, you know, coming into my 40s, I, I kind of, felt like oh, I'm never going to achieve those like you know I always wanted to write a book always wanted to run a marathon uh, and had never got to that stage and you know I, I've, I've written two books run a marathon uh, I feel like I'm a better parent I'm happy happier I'm healthier uh, and it's like it's for me it's it's just like undeniably like beneficial. What's the temperature of the sea like? 
oh, it's always cold or very cold or absolutely <laughs> Baltic. <laughs> <laughs> because you've become a sea swimmer as well and a regular sea swimmer. Look, all positives. Do you ever sit down and tally up? What do you think financially it's meant to you? You know, what are you not spending on alcoholic drink? And have you, well, usually it finds a hole somewhere else. You do something else with it. Has that been the way? Uh, yeah, at the, at the start, you know, I was counting everything. I was counting days. I was counting calories. I was counting money, you know, all the different, the, the, the amounts that it saved you. Uh, I don't do that anymore. Mm. But, um, you know, with the money that I saved, uh, like I've been a, a freelance um worker for for a number of years uh, and kind of left the workforce um when motherhood um hit so uh you know had no pension no security so i just funneled that money into that and it feels very grown up but it's it's definitely uh, something that was required <laughs> so i think the money's probably better off in that pot than it is in, in uh, the pubs as the money doctor john lowe says to me time after time case and i relay it to you the best investment you can make, the most tax efficient, is in your pension. And you're doing that with your savings. Good on you. few questions I want to put to you. Could you not, you know, tipple in moderation? Yeah, I think moderation is the holy grail and that's what everybody wants. And, you know, there are those people that can have a glass of wine every two weeks and be perfectly happy with it. Uh, but for me, like I said, you know, when, when we were on holidays in Spain uh, and that you know, mind shift uh, and going through all the rules in your head of what it's going to be. Like, are you allowed to have a glass? Are you going to have a half bottle? Are you only going to drink on Fridays? Are you only going to drink at weddings? You know, there's so many rules that we set ourselves. And for me, it was just a waste of a waste of headspace that I was constantly worrying through these rules. Uh, and I decided that it was just easier to, to say, like, I don't drink. Uh, and that's the end of it. So hold your principles 100% of the time rather than 98% of the time and, and waste all that energy. There you are. Kate Gunn is an all or nothing girl. It's as simple as that. And I understand it. I do understand it. You do say just to coach you as well, you know, when, when you'd give up, anybody who's contemplating or has, if it's not easy, you say you're drink dependent. That's interesting. Yeah, I think it? that's um, kind of true. You know, if, if you mm. don't think you're drink dependent, then it shouldn't be any problem giving up. Yes. Uh, but I think a lot of us you know, don't think we have a problem with alcohol because we're not alcoholics and yet find it extremely difficult to give it up. Mm. And and the other thing you say, which is interesting, and, and I, I, I know this to be true as well, and just when I was reading it, it came back to me. It's a topic that people don't like discussing. Uh, yeah, we're very uh, <laughs> defensive about our drinking uh, and we don't like anybody to shine a mirror back on, on us. Uh, and I totally get that because, you know, I, I was that person and would have been very distrustful of uh, people who didn't drink and didn't really want to be uh, around them. Um, so 100% get that. But uh, it, it's more, you know, being on the other side, I can now see it uh, both ways. Um, and uh, yeah, I, pr I prefer to be on this side now. Mm. Is it important for uh, somebody who decides to kick it to develop new interests like you have? Do you think that's a very important aspect of it? I do, because I think you can get very caught up in the whole uh, deprivation of giving up and what you're missing out. 
whereas if you take on like a, a new hobby or a fitness challenge, you're more focused on that. So, you know, our weekends became about, um, you know, a training for uh, a run in the dark um, or doing hiking or whatever. So you're more focused on, on something else, not just the fact that you're giving up alcohol. So you move away from the kind of the what you're missing out on on the Friday nights and the Saturday nights to what you can get done during the day and, and accomplish. Uh, and um, yeah, it's, it's a really good feeling. Mm, that, that there's no doubt about it when you uh, excess or do excess uh, you may write off the days and more days after it I know the the older you get and interesting mm. this week uh, um, uh, reaffirmation again that uh, Irish people are among the highest consumers of alcohol in the EU and, and that is, is not a surprise per head of population so all's good with Kate Gunn uh, all is great. Yeah, I'm feeling uh, like, a, you know, really happy and really lucky person. Uh, I'm really glad that I stumbled on it. As I say, I never expected to. But um, it's, it's you know, if it hits you at the right time of your life and you give it a go, uh, then I think it's absolutely worth it. There you have it, folks. The book is called The Accidental Soberista by Kate Gunn. It's available, just uh, published at the start of the month. They're available all around the place and online as well. And it's published by Gill Books. And I am delighted that you joined me today in the show. I admire you so much. And you're a great writer as well. The book is fantastic and I wish you well. There'll be more to come, I'm sure, from the pen of Kate Gunn. For, uh, that is 100% certain. But uh, it's great to read the book. And uh, congratulations again on its publication and all you've done, Kate. Oh, that's so lovely of you. Thank you so much, Jerry. Thank you for joining me on the show. Take care of yourself. That's Kate Gunn there, author of The Accidental Soberista. Would you like the book? I have one copy here, my own copy. I'm very generous. I always give it to somebody in late lunchland. Would you like a copy of this book? Do you think it'd benefit of you? Maybe you'd like to tell me my, why it might benefit you or you'd like to give it to somebody or whatever. You know, in confidence, in confidence with me always. But what you have to do for a copy of the book... Text or WhatsApp the word Soberista with your name and details and spell it right. It has to be spelled right. Soberista with your name and details to 086-1800-658. If you want to add anything to that, it's up to yourself. You can. You don't have to. And we'll pick somebody before the end of the show. Wasn't he a real talent? Prince. The most beautiful girl in the world. 1994. Going back a little bit there. Number one in the UK and two in the USA. Just missed out on top spot in the States. Timeless classic from the man himself. Well, Jerry, if you're trying to tell me that Dundalk and Drogheda United and others are elite teams and Dublin and Monaghan and others are not, give me a break. And I'm not trying to justify the breach of training ban, but look at it from an inter-county team's view, says a listener today. I look at it from the view and the view is this. That the ban applied across the board. The GAA, you know, the games are coming back and they're about to announce a roadmap. But you know something? Cute whorism is alive and well in Ireland. That's, it's a simple. And we're a lawless people. A lot of us are lawless. Now, there's quite a lot of people, and I will say, I'm not putting everybody or tarring everyone with the one brush there. There are... The majority, I'd have to say, during COVID have been really, really good. Let's get this in perspective. The majority, let's put that right now on the record. The majority have done the very best. But, you know, the cute whores trying to get a little advantage on others by training when some have stuck by the rules, it has to be said. 
And that is the point here. It's not comparing to anywhere, anyone else or anything else. Limited soccer was given the go-ahead. Professional soccer in the League of Ireland was given the go-ahead. Uh, professional rugby was given the go-ahead. The GA didn't raise much of a hair on this about their inter-county teams, it has to be fair. They, they, they didn't really. They didn't, uh, you know, knock the doors down or whatever. And you've got to understand that. But it's the point of being lawless, rules mean nothing, get an advantage, nod and wink, the cute whores, you know what I'm talking about. You do indeed. And it just annoy you when you think about it. Michael says, it's a sad nation when this is all we can do. The GA is amateur and they've done very well during the pandemic. Soccer and rugby can do whatever they want. Why can't they leave the GA alone? Michael, I told you about them. You know, it's at the professional level they've been given the go-ahead and the GAA is amateur. Yes, it, of course it is an amateur sport and we accept that and a wonderful sport as well. But there are rules and regulations for everybody. And, you know, are the dubs amateurs? They are amateur in name. A few other counties as well, I'd say, are looked after as well as any professional sporting group in the country. I'd just say that. That's my opinion. Declan on from RD. What about the rugby crowd? They are an elite sport, but that still doesn't make it any safer than GA. Rugby is much more physical. One rule for one and another rule for others. No, it's the same rule for everybody, Declan, to be honest with you. There's a rule that the GA counties and clubs came under. An amateur soccer and amateur rugby and golf and... All of the types of sports came under and most people adhered to it. And the cute whores didn't, I say again. No, the smart ones. Kick them out of the championship. Kick Monaghan out of the championship. Kick Dublin out of the championship. Cork and down. Kick them out. 12 months. Give them 12 months. That'll soften their cough for sure. Won't happen, you know. No, won't happen, of course. Give them 12 weeks. Soft. Tap on the wrist. You'll be back for the championship and in full flight again. Um, Dippin has been on to say I'll be five years sober in October as well Jerry but I still miss it every day I decided to give it up for two weeks and still haven't had a drink I drank every evening though thanks for letting me know Dippin and well done to you that you're that long off it soberista says Maeve oh Maeve is mad in me today oh she's I can see the steam coming out her ears like I'd be like that myself here at times behind the microphone Soberista, bloody rubbish. What an up herself, young woman. And now a book, an influencer, God spare me. It's no wonder society is collapsing around our ears, says Maeve in Meath. Maeve. Calm down, calm down. I'd have to say that to myself at times as well. Thank you indeed for all your comments. I love them. Keep them coming to me. I'll read them all within reason. Put your points of view across, whether I agree or disagree. I promise you that. But I won't offend anybody, nor I won't uh, put anybody in a bit of bother. I promise you. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me now. 1850-715-958 if you'd like to call in. Oh, I'm ready. I have the wellies. Let me put the gloves on with the finger. I have the trowel and spade on the go. We're in the garden next with Nikki Kyle. Now she is one of Ireland's most respected and followed organic gardeners. And I'm always delighted to say she's a regular contributor and has been for years to late lunch. I'm delighted to say hello again to the wonderful Nikki Kyle. Hello, Nikki. Hi, Jerry. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. Well, Nikki, have you thawed out? Oh, my word, the unseasonally cold weather. What well, do you make of it? Yeah. But it, that's climate change for you. I mean, it, you know, it's going to be unpredictable. And um, that's that's just what we've got to get used to. But we've got to be prepared. That's all. You know, we can manage. 
<laughs> there you are, positivity from the word go. It won't beat us this unseasonal cold. But look at in, in in a general sense, let's begin. I, I want to begin sort of in the tunnel of the greenhouse and with, of course, a crop that everybody who gets into amateur gardening and organic gardening likes to grow and say to friends and family, I grew those myself. Tomatoes, Nikki. I have mine potted on a second time. They're a good yep. size. I have them on a heated mat and I'm covering them with the fleece at night time. Yep. Should I be moving them into the permanent position soon or hold back? No, I, I would wait, Jerry, because the great thing about tomatoes is actually, do you know what, they're as tough as old boots. And, you know, you've heard the expression blue with cold. They can literally turn blue with cold and they will recover. They might, you know, it might just retard them a little bit. But um, generally they're better off um, to be kept with the roots at about 50 degrees if you can. Mm. Um, because that, you know, after that they'll catch up like mad. Um, you know, you won't have a problem. Cucumbers and things like that are different because they're much more sensitive to cold and they get root rots and things if they get cold. But the thing about um, the cold too is don't overwater things okay. at this time of year. You're much better off to keep them on the dry side. Don't let them wilt, but keep them on the dry side, particularly tomatoes at the moment until the weather changes. And, and it will change, you know. But we've just got to keep the frost protection handy um, for, for another month or so because it can suddenly change in the middle of the night. I mean, two nights here this week, it looked mild at the beginning, Monday and Tuesday, I think it was. And then we had minus five mm. um, by the morning, both nights. And that wasn't forecast at all. So forget the weather forecasts. Okay. They're, they're never right. Okay, <laughs> you have to be ready to go. So, so the armory is fleece uh, beneath heat. And you uh, advised me a few years ago to to buy that mat that's heated and put it under as well, young uh, growing plants. And as well as that, I suppose a little heater in the greenhouse, no harm. Uh, no, I don't believe in heaters in the oh. greenhouse. I'm afraid. I think they waste energy. Right. Uh, and if they're paraffin ones, they pollute the atmosphere. Yes. Much better off heating the roots. Okay. Keep the pots warm and cover the top. It doesn't matter if you put ten layers of fleece on. Okay. Um, you know, and actually, I use a, a clothes horse when the plants get a bit taller. Yeah. Uh, I use a clothes horse opened out, and I drape the fleece and bubble wrap over that, and they're absolutely fine. That is a great tip. You are ingenious, Miss <laughs> Kyle. You really are. I couldn't you, you have thought. Have if you want to grow your own food, you know, <laughs> you have to sort of, um, you know, adapt to the weather conditions. And if things are too big, you know, I, I mean, I rob stuff out of the house all the time. The trouble is, half the time it never goes back. Again. <laughs> so, look in a general sense, mine are well on. So hold back uh, before I transfer them yeah. into the final position. Yeah. I grew in pots the last few years. I've now set aside a border in the greenhouse to put them into this year. Just to try something a little different. Are you a fan of borders, pots or grow bags? Well, I am. But the problem is that the borders, um, the soil in borders can get something called tomato sickness. Okay. If you grow tomatoes too often in it. Right. Uh, and you get a, a build up of pests and diseases, sort of nematodes and things. Um, and it needs a rest for a while. It needs to grow something else for a while. And actually, you know, anything from bucket sized pots upwards uh, are fine for cordon, uh, cordon tomatoes. You know, the upright yeah. tomatoes. Uh, and bush tomatoes like mascotka or tumbler will grow in even smaller pots. Okay. So it's not a problem if you don't have a greenhouse border. Um, and it's a good idea to, to rest your greenhouse border every so often. Just grow something different in it, or even grow um, a green manure crop called caliente mustard, which actually um, produces a phytochemical which fumigates the soil. When you grow it for about six weeks, um, you chop it up, just fork it in, cover it with parsley straight away, and it gives off um, a, a, a type of gas, yeah. which actually kills all these nematodes and things. Very good. Well, my border now hasn't had tomatoes for the last three years. It's, in, oh, it's new fun. and I, it's good soil and I, yeah. I got it ready last autumn, so it should be p- proper for them. Is it too late to sow? 
tomatoes? No, no I mean, some of the, the upright tomatoes, like Sun Gold or Harbinger, um, are quite sort of early cropping. I wouldn't sow beefsteaks too late. Mm. Um, you know, if, if we don't know what the weather's going to do. If we had a good autumn, we could get success with beefsteaks now if you want to sow them. But I think, um, you know, Sun Gold or Harbinger for upright tomatoes, there, there are other early fruiting varieties. And bush varieties, again, like Mascotka or Tumbler, are always reliable. And I've actually got flowers on my mascotka now. <laughs> Good um, on you. <laughs> um, but they were only sown on the 20th of February. You know, you it's go. such a reliable tomato. No, that's great to hear. Come back to the cucumbers and the courgette yep. family. Is it too early to sow those? It is, yes, because you've got plenty of time to sow those because they don't. They develop very quickly. I never sow mine until the middle of April because otherwise they can get, uh, you know, pot bound. They can start to get root rots. They are much more sensitive than tomatoes. So even sowing them at, at the end of April, they'll be fine. And by then, the the night, um, you know, the temperature at night will be much warmer and they'll be much less likely to get root rots and they'll go on without getting a check. Okay, now my early potatoes in the greenhouse in in pots are great. I'd say they're about to throw flower. They're that good. They're well on. They really are. But outside in my raised beds, I have one large raised bed and another small one, uh, which I put in mid-March or so, and they're all appearing above the ground. Danger from the frost? Yes, they are. If, if they're too big to earth up, you could earth them up a bit and cover them anyway. Um, but if they're too big to earth up, what you can do is you can put fleece or newspaper or anything actually that won't, probably not newspaper, that won't get wet and then cover it with um, polythene to keep the rain off. Because if, if fleece and, and um, other frost protection gets wet, it's useless. It's, it's actually worse than, than none at all. But if they do happen to get frosted, um, don't panic. Don't, you know, get up early in the morning and actually spray them with cold water from the hose because that thaws them out very slowly. Yeah. Whereas if the sun hits them and they're still frosted, they thaw out fast and that's what does the damage. And are they gone then? Will they recover? They're, well, some varieties will recover better than others. I think Epicure is a very old variety which is very good at recovering from frost damage. As long as they're not too damaged, they'll just look as if you've been over them with a flamethrower for a few weeks. Mm. You know, and It'll set them back a little bit, but just cover them. You know, it's, it's actually worth doing, even if it seems a bother at night. Just do it. Okay, let's talk about, you know, a lot of people aren't blessed like yourself or myself. I have the greenhouse, you have the tunnels, of course. But if you're talking about outdoors, even raised beds at the moment, and, you know, you'll read all around, oh, April is the time to get going. Would you be in a hurry to sow your peas, your carrots, your successional lettuce and leaves? Well, what I would do, actually, is I would leave that soil covered at the moment because it's very cold. We're still going to get cold weather at the beginning of next week, I believe, listening to the forecast, and sow those things in pots or in modules. That way, by the time, you know, the soil has warmed up, the weather gets better, you'll have lovely big plants six or eight inches high to actually plant out and they'll be much more slug resistant as well. Mm. Now, um, while we're on carrots and I have, uh, I'm looking at the other side of my greenhouse, I have a lovely bed of uh, early naunt and uh, they're, they're coming along nicely right. at the moment. And generally I found Nikki in the greenhouse. I never had trouble, honestly, with carrot fly, yeah. but outdoors it can be a devil. Have you any tips? Well, really, early maturing ones don't generally tend to get um, okay. carrot fly quite as much. But if you can actually get very fine netting or even something like net curtains, just cover them completely. Because if carrot fly can't get at the carrots, then, then you know, you won't have a problem. Mm. Uh, that's what I do outside because, you know, around here is a big carrot growing area. And, yeah, and, you, and the other thing is not to weed them. 
Mm. Um, you know, if you do have to weed them, if they're very bad, then do it very early in the morning when it's cold before the carrot fly gets up and then water them and then cover them immediately afterwards. Okay. And for peas, of course, there's nothing about garden carrots and peas. They're just sensational. My God, folks, when you taste them, you realise what the real McCoy is. And growing organically, that is the important point too. You know the peas, and I have, I I started some in modules and I have some outside and they're looking a little shivery, but they'll be all right. I know they will. But I had shocking trouble last year, Nikki, when they got to a stage uh, with the uh, sparrows were uh, uh, attacking them and, and destroyed the tops of them. Yeah, yeah, they're devils for doing that. And the only thing, again, you can do with those things is actually cover them. Mm. Um, and if you make some cloth hoops out of wires, I've got very old cloth hoops I've had for about 40 years, which are just literally one thing of wire going, going straight across. And I cover that with fine netting, and that keeps um, caterpillars off cabbages and birds off seedlings. It's the only thing to do is just prevent them. Yeah, and you know, I'm, I'm seriously thinking of covering my outdoor space with a small tunnel to prevent all of this. Well, the only thing is that in a smaller garden, you know, air circulation in a tunnel can be a problem. Okay. It's, it's not a problem up here. We have plenty no. of air circulation. <laughs> Half the time they're in danger of blowing away. <laughs> but, um, you know, it can be a problem because you can get sort of stagnant air and then you'll get more pests and diseases like um, aphids and, and fungal diseases and things because you haven't got the air going through them. Mm. Um, but a small tunnel is fine. I started off with a little, uh, I think it was six by four tunnel about 45 years ago I hate to tell you <laughs> um, and it was brilliant you know my son yeah. still remembers sitting on on the sort of uh, pots of vegetables in there he told me that the other day <laughs> <laughs> it's a great memory to have isn't it well Do it you... is it's, it's great for kids too it's great for kids to yes. learn where their food comes from mm. uh, and to taste things like strawberries and peas you know yes. let them pick them because then they'll, they'll become gardeners when they're older and they'll uh, you know eat healthy food Yes, very, very important message. Just on the greenhouse and tunnel, my glass is looking a little uh, paler shade of green. What do you recommend? A quick clean with what? Well, I would actually, uh, if you have to clean with anything, either just plain water or water with a little bit of an eco-friendly washing up liquid in, like Ecova, and use a long-handled cobweb brush. They're not meant for cleaning greenhouses, but they're brilliant. Okay. Because you can reach. Don't put too much pressure on the panes in case they crack. Don't use hot water in case they crack. Um, but it does work. It'll make them much brighter. Yeah, the light is very, very important. Yeah. Last thing before you go. I've, uh, I'm have i now the proud owner of two Cox's Orange Pippin apple trees. And right. they're, they're in pots. And David McCabe, who has a great selection of them, said to me, I'd prefer if you left them in the pots just for the moment and uh, uh, not to put them to the final positions but they are starting to you know burst out and I see a few little flowers and they're young and I had a coxes many years ago and they're a beautiful beautiful apple I have to say if I leave them in the pots what do I need to take care of it watering is that is that the main thing well I would actually get them out of the pots would you perfectly honest, as soon as possible are would they you? in a peat compost or what uh, hard to tell but they're yeah, in they're but they, the, the, the problem is that the longer apples stay in pots the less they like being disturbed and the less they are likely to put their roots out Uh, and the thing to do now is prepare the ground well now don't do it when the ground's too wet um but uh just just get 
get the ground prepared, make sure there's plenty of drainage, just tie it, you know, slightly loosen some of the little roots on the outside, doesn't matter if you break one or two, because the the sooner they're out of those pots, the better, because otherwise they'll just go round and round in circles and they won't go out. Okay, great. I'll get that done as soon as possible. Fantastic advice. Much more to be had on NikkiKyleGardening.com. Yeah, you're great. You are great. Thanks, Nikki. Talk to you next month. You're welcome, Jerry. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. The wonderful Nikki Kyle there setting us fair for the garden in April. Still to come on Late Lunch today. Yes, we're going to hear about progress. The daycare centre, the new Alzheimer's daycare centre in Drogheda is under construction. Noel Heaney is with us after three o'clock and uh, the Roy Orbison story continues. So COVID knows the difference between elite and amateur sport. Premiership footballers flying all over Europe to play football, cricket, golf, rugby, horse racing, all going ahead all over the world. But I can't do anything it's a joke, Jerry, says a listener this afternoon. I see the point and I understand what you're saying there. Um, Jer- Jerry, uh, the minister, talking about Helen McEntee there, um, should give uh, a family member a ring to check that me are complying with the rules and regulations, says a listener. Well, I'm sure she has. I'm sure she has done that and I hear the point you're making. All county teams, not alone me, they have to be under the microscope at this stage. Um, Ah, this is lovely. This is truly lovely. Etna and Louise Nolan from RD have just been in touch with me. Hello to you this afternoon. They want to play a really special request on late lunch today for Agnes Kelly from Sean O'Carroll Street in RD. She's 100 today. Happy birthday, Agnes. And just for you, from all of us. The irrepressible Mr. Natkin Cole, especially for Agnes Kelly from Sean O'Carroll Street in RD, coming in from your good friends Etna and Louise Nolan and all of us this afternoon on your 100th birthday. Happy birthday to you. Copy of The Accidental Soberista by Kate Gunn going to Dipna Flynn in lovely Mount Nugent this afternoon. Oh, the Sheelan Shamrock. I remember great days there. Sheelan, Loch Sheelan on the shores. I hope I get there this year to throw a line. I really do. Jerry, we're in this COVID mess because of the people who've broken the rules and put lives and the economy in jeopardy. There should be severe repercussions or penalties for anyone who breaks the rules, including sports training, travel, hairdressing and vaccination distribution etc unfortunately some people are so devious they'll not respect the rules until they're hit with a financial penalty or threat to their job thanks indeed for that comment to the show this afternoon did you see that story about the rare edition comic which featured superman it was a a very first issue of action comics Uh, it was released in 1938 it sold for 10 cents Mother of God, it made £2.8 million at auction, making a million profit for the guy who bought it three years ago. A million in three years. It's gained in value, isn't it? Something else. Immaculate condition it was in, and the comic included the story of Superman's origins 
and it was really the start of the superhero genre in comics. Some story, isn't it? Some investment as well. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio and I continue my Roy Orbison story today. Roy endured unbelievable tragedy in his life, losing his first wife, Claudette, with whom he had three sons in a tragic motorbike accident on the 6th of June 1966. Two years later, while on tour in the UK, he received the devastating news that two of his sons, Roy and Anthony, had died in a fire at their home in Tennessee. Unbelievable that somehow he carried on as his parents reared surviving son Wesley. And then some joy in his life. In 1969, he met and married Barbara Jacobs from Germany, going to have going on to have two more sons, Roy Jr. and Alex. However, his star was on the wane uh, during the 70s. His health deteriorated and in fact he had to have a triple bypass in 1978. Then for the next decade, the 80s, he slipped out of really view altogether. But there were some bright spots during the decade as well. Don McLean recorded a version of Orbison's Crying. It was a huge worldwide hit. He won his first Grammy for a duet with Emmylou Harris, they sang That Loving Feeling. His songs became movie soundtracks. He was inducted into the Nashville Hall of Fame and he collaborated with the likes of Bob Dylan, Tom Petty, Bruce Springsteen and Jeff Lynne from ELO. And the big plus for him was, in that time, he became a member of the Travelling Wilburys. Now, there you are. That really gave him his second wind and shot at stardom again, which he duly grasped, releasing a new solo album in 1988 called Mystery Girl. But today on Late Lunch in Song, I want to go back to when Orbison was writing with Bill Dees. One afternoon, himself and Bill were working away when wife Claudette called in to say she was on her way to Nashville and Roy just happened to say, do you need any cash? And Dees replied, a pretty woman never needs money. And within an hour, this one was done and dusted. Yeah, Roy Orbison and a classic, Pretty Woman. Yeah, all done and dusted in just an hour by Orbison and his uh, co-writer all those years ago. A timeless classic. And uh, I'll round off the Roy Orbison story with another wonderful song and more about Roy on Late Lunch round about this time tomorrow afternoon. Final break of uh, this Thursday on Late Lunch. And after the break... I'm joined by Noel Heaney, who's branch chairman of Drogheda Alzheimer's. It's been a long road and there have been many, many people involved. But at last, ground has been broken and the building is underway at Green Hills in Drogheda. Yes, I'm talking about the new daycare centre uh, for Alzheimer's patients. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined on late lunch today by the branch chairman, Noel Heaney. Hello, Noel. Hi, Jerry. Good to talk to you again. Well, Noel, it must be some feeling to go down there and see the project on the way. Yeah, it's, it's like a dream come true, Jerry. Um, a lot of workers gone into this over 25 years. A bunch is 25 years old this year. So what a way to celebrate it. And Noel, uh, the site at Green Hills, uh, everything moving along. What do you expect at this stage? I've been looking at the pictures you've been posting and there's real progress now. What's the time frame? Um, we should be in it uh, after Christmas. Really? As, quick, well. as yeah. quick as that, Christmas. Well, that is really, really good to hear. And Noel, I know you got tremendous help from all round in the end to push this over the line. 
are you still uh, in the market for assistance? I take it you are. We, we always are, Jerry. Yeah, we're actually uh, looking now to do a garden, um, a dementia-friendly garden. So that's that's we're working away on that, you know. Mm. Um, but the building, of course, was a priority. So we're still we're still fundraising. We have a nice hundred k walk or run on this month. Uh, you can you can log on to that on our Facebook page, Trader Lodge Facebook page, and there's a fundraiser this week actually on the Masters. Uh, organised by Darren Holcroft. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're always, we don't sit still, Jerry. You don't sit on our laurels. No, and uh, as I mentioned there, there have been so many people involved over the years. Oh, yes, the Masters starting this evening. My uh, viewing is sorted for the next few days. So there's a way of supporting there and having a bit of crack uh, with yeah. the golf as well. Um in terms of, you know, uh, then the staffing of it and what you'll need in terms of people to run the place, is that planning underway already? Oh, yeah. That is, yeah. We, we will be able to cater for twice the number of people we did in the old centre. Uh, so, consequently, we need a few more staff, yeah. Mm. But Helen is marvellous there. Helen Barron is our nurse manager and her team are brilliant. Um, I have every confidence in Helen. So you're doubling capacity, uh, Noel, in, in this one. So you'll be able to take up what up to about twenty five visits each day. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. We'll have two big day rooms, Jerry, and a lot of other rooms as well. But the two big day rooms, and they'll be in two categories: one for the early onset Alzheimer's, and then one room set aside for the more advanced. Hmm. What's it been like, Noel, just besides, you know, and it's great to hear the news on the project, you know, in terms of your modus operandi this last year, of course, you were having the Alzheimer's Cafe on a regular basis there um, in Drogheda. Obviously, that's been knocked on the head. And as well as that, you know, with helping families and patients, has it been a real challenge? Yeah, it has. But we're doing home care. We're, we're, we're calling out to our clients. Helen and her team are, are visiting them daily. We're doing nearly 100 hours per week. And they, they are delighted to see us. Now, some people, for obvious reasons, don't want people going into their homes, and we understand that. Mm. But we do offer this service, and it's a substitute, albeit not a perfect one, but it's still a, a lot better than nothing because we still don't know at this stage when we'll be re- able to reopen. Mm. Mm, you know, course. we don't want to make any promises and that's yes. that front, but things are improving as we speak, you know, with, with vaccinations, etc. Yeah. And, and and we have to be hopeful that by the time you're ready to go, uh, Christmas or just after that, uh, we'll be in a situation where people can visit and the daycare is there. It's so important, isn't it, uh, Noel, for families who and the, the clients themselves who live with this? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a break. Uh, I, I, I remember speaking to one gentleman one day uh, in the centre. He'd come up to pick up his wife and he said, I'll leave her up here. And I can go and get a grand to golf in. It's, I look forward to that once a week, and that's what I can do. You know, and vice versa works the other way too as well. We say a, a woman leaves her husband in, and she can go off and do a bit of shopping, have a cup of coffee, which mm. she could. You know, mm. yeah, it's 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 uh, it's a win-win for everybody. Isn't it interesting? And that little break means so much to people to be able to get that. Uh, it, it's just so important. Um, in the heel of the hunt, you know, it was a long road. And, you know, I think of Anne Shaw today and other names as well, people who are not with us today, uh, Noel, who've given their life and dedication to this. Well, this week, last year, we lost Patsy Rice, uh, oh, yes. the chairman before me, a great mm. man uh, who encouraged me and, and other people before Patsy. So, we're going to dedicate this to the people like Patsy and, and all the others who, who, who went before us, you know. Yeah, yeah. And we'll never forget them. We'll never forget them because they took on a brave project. Mm. 
years ago. You know, when it didn't look on, they 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 went to the county council, got a site, and then we said to Alzheimer's, look, we want to build. But the terms from Alzheimer's were pretty tough. They said, okay, you can build when you have the money mm. and when you get a, an increased funding from the HSE. Yes. So, right, we set about doing that and we, 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 we got that. We got to go ahead from ASI then in November because we, we had ticked all the boxes in terms of fundraising and the improvement in funding from the HSE. Mm. But we're absolutely thrilled, Jerry, with, with the progress so far. I mean, the building looks... When you look at something on paper, in plans, it, it looked like a bungalow size, but wow, it's it's double or treble the size of a yes. bungalow. It's really got a big footprint, Jerry. I'd love to get you up there someday, please, God. Ah, oh, yes. Have a look around. I will. Oh, no, that's that's for sure. When we uh, can and uh, the situation allows, I will indeed. And it's in a lovely area there in the Green Hills area of Drogheda and the site. Very, very important too. But as well as that, Noel, just before we go, this is something that uh, arrives uh, into a family or a home unexpectedly and suddenly you're looking then for supports like you can provide. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as we speak, Jerry, there are about 600 people in our area mm. suffering from dementia. Yes. Um, and as soon as they contact us, providing they've been given a, uh, how you a, an Alzheimer's diagnosis, we can help them then in yes. terms of daycare and whatever, whatever support. We have a great... Uh, dementia advisor Maeve Montgomery hello Maeve I think Maeve is listening in I know Maeve well as well and I wish her well and she she is a great lady I worked with her many moons ago anyway Trader Lodge is the website if you can help the garden has to be done as well all support welcome Noel I will be up to visit as soon as I can I wish you all the best Thanks, Jerry, and thanks for your continued support from LMF from over the years. It's been great. Much appreciated. Not at all. You're very welcome, Noel. Take care of yourself. That's uh, Noel Heaney there carrying on the torch for many others before him, and the centre is being built. It's really good news. Anyway, my thanks to Brian Farley again, who guided me safely through the last hour, couple of hours today. Thanks a million, Brian. Tomorrow on the show, we'll be joined by Fiona Gratzer. Yes, her mum was the founder of Unislim, and she's the boss now. She'll be with us. We have a budding young entrepreneur from Castletown just outside Navin. He's with us tomorrow. Leon Blanche will look ahead to the sport. I have your riddle on Friday. See, we weren't on last Friday, so I kept one in reserve for you. Riddle on Friday tomorrow on the show. The Roy Orbison story continues and I hope to have a great story for you. A beliver man in New York City. More about that tomorrow on the show. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive, but we leave you today in the company... Oh, the wonderful Michael Bublé. See you tomorrow, 1.30. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the 211, Renault and Dacia range. Get your car delivered to you in just a couple of clicks. Call us today to find out more or visit blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.